Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. Well, this is a little different podcast because I have two very special guests, friends of mine. We're going to do an interview about a two-volume work they have jointly published. My friends are Dr. Timothy C. Tennant and Julie M. Tennant, his wife. Timothy Tennant is the president of Asbury Theological Seminary, one of our sister institutions here at Beeson, uh, has done that job since 2009. Before that, he taught at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. He's spoken at Beeson. We read his books. He's the author of many books, including uh, Christianity at the Religious Roundtable, Theology in the Context of World Christianity. He is a leading evangelical missiologist, did a Ph.D. at the University of Edinburgh, Julie M. Tennant herself is a musician, a church musician with degrees from Westminster College, Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. She's taught piano and organ and served in Methodist, Presbyterian, Baptist churches. I love that ecumenical spirit that you have. And she herself helped establish a school of music in India where she also teaches. So welcome, Tim and Julie. Thank you. Good to be here. Now, our purpose for this conversation is to talk about this wonderful metrical psalter that the two of you have done. It's actually a two-volume set. One is called a metrical psalter, the book of Psalms set to meter for singing. The other is a meditative journey through the Psalms, through each one of the 150 Psalms. I'm holding this in my hand. It is a beautiful set. And we want to tell people how they can get it before we get off the podcast. But let's just begin by having each of you comment a little bit on what led you to this project. Well, I think uh, it goes back for us to April of 2011 when we were seeing uh, a need to go deeper into the Lord because of all the challenges that we face in uh, our ministries. And the Lord led Julie to posed to me that we might get up earlier every morning and spend an extra hour in the Psalms every day. And we started that not knowing where it would lead, and that's been over seven years ago. And we've done that every day now for seven years, and it just brought us into a great place. And the Lord uh, opened up many doorways for us, and it was a means of grace to us. And that's how all this actually got started. That's right. You know, we um, we started with a metrical psalter that was... Um already published, and we had never sung through the Psalms before. We had only encountered them as I think many people in the church do today, just um, just as occasional times of worship, calls to worship, uh, devotional. But to systematically go through one Psalm a day, every day, just uh, the full journey of each Psalm 
was a tremendous means of grace and a, and a new experience for us, frankly. And we decided after 150, we couldn't stop. We had to start back over <laughs> to number one. <laughs> well, one of the wonderful things, you have so many nice features in this collection. One of them is the fact that for each psalm, you give a number of hymn tunes to which this particular version can be sung. Say a little bit about that. How do you choose these hymn tunes? How do you know which hymn tune fits? <laughs> And do you well, yourself sing them? Oh yes, oh yes, we sing them together every every morning. Um, the distinctive thing about a metrical psalter is that it is taking the words of the psalms as closely as possible, retaining the actual words and phrases as much as possible, but setting them into poetry into meter, which has um, a certain number of syllables per line, and basically rhyme as well, so that it is a poetic rendering of the full psalm. And so that way, any tune, uh, we think of them as hymn tunes, but any tune that has that same number of syllables um, in that same meter can be used for that metrical pattern that the psalm is in. So um, in, in the metrical psalter, we note the meter for each psalm, and then a list of tunes in the back of the hymnal, there is a metrical index. Many people don't realize that, but a metrical index in the back of the hymnal and any tune that matches that meter can be used to sing that particular song. And you have all of these features included in this version. Now, sometimes you will say this is from the Scottish metrical Psalter, and you'll give that particular text. Others are different. How does that work out? Well, we, of course, decided to write um, all 150 ourselves, which we did, but there are a couple of times where because the Scottish tradition is a very long-standing tradition of doing metrical psalms, that, and that, like Psalm 23, for example, is so famous in that tradition that we didn't want to leave it out, so we included it in addition to our own rendering, because it's so well-known in the church, and uh, it was a way of acknowledging the history of this tradition, and the, the we lived in Scotland for three years, so we had a lot of affection for the Scottish psalm singing tradition, yeah, so right. that's why we included that there. Psalm, Psalm 100 and Psalm 23. Exactly. So you get two versions on those particular very famous uh, settings. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I want to ask you, you said a little bit about what a metrical psalter is. The whole tradition of singing psalms, you know, I come from a tradition, the Baptist tradition, and this would be true of a lot of Reformed Congregationalist churches. For a long part of our early history, only psalms could be sung in worship because these were the very inspired Word of God. And so maybe hymns were okay in your private devotions over in the, the corner, but not in church. And there was a great revolution, of course, where hymnody became acceptable and desirable in evangelical churches, and we're grateful for that. But almost to the point, it seems to me, psalms have lapsed out of our worship a lot. Talk a little bit about that importance of psalmody, not neglecting hymnody, of course. You're Wesleyans, and so you, you can't talk to two Wesleyans who are musical without thinking about the Wesleys and, and hymns. Talk about psalms. Well, ask us about the, uh, the, the hymns versus choruses, uh, so-called worship wars, and we said, well, we, we still haven't gotten over the earlier uh, challenge, which was the, the real re- displacement of psalms by the hymn tradition, because as you said, uh, the Bay Psalm book was published in 1640 and was the very first book published in America, was a, a, a psalm sure. book, a metrical psalm book. That's the first book ever published in America. And it says a lot about that tradition, just as you said. 
I think the particular vibrancy of men like Isaac Watts, uh, late 17th to mid-18th century, and, of course, Charles Wesley in 18th century, which brought so many vibrant hymns in, it was a gradual process where the hymns began to replace the psalms. The church had always had hymns, of course, through its history, but as you said, uh, worship was centered on the psalms in church, and uh, that process, that change happened, began to happen in the uh, 18th century, and it's continued. And so today, of course, there are churches that still sing exclusively psalms, but there are quite few, probably about a dozen churches globally, uh, are only exclusively psalm singers. And the rest would be what we normally experience often today in churches where hymns predominate, hymns and choruses. Yes, I think Watson Wesley um, really opened this channel by their beautiful hymnody that they produced. And then the 19th century, of course, with the gospel hymns that that flooded into the church, um, it just started to eclipse the singing of psalms. And I think as wonderful as hymns are, they were never meant to supplant the psalms, only to supplement and to enrich our worship. But I'm holding here in my hand right now a a Scottish uh, hymn book from 1899, which still has the split psalter at the beginning of it, followed by hymns. But um, Explain what a split psalter is. A split psalter has the music at the top and the text of the psalms at the bottom so that you can mix and match the meters and the tunes, as we were speaking of earlier. But this was called CH1, Church Hymnal 1, from England and Scotland. And as far as I know, this was the last one produced this way. All those that followed, CH2, 3, 4, um, only contained hymns with a smattering of psalms intermixed in, in there. So I think they have been eclipsed, and we are missing a tremendous means of grace by neglecting them. So we want to advocate both and, right? Not either or. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, I wonder if one of you, maybe Julie, you're, uh, as a musician, how, how does this tradition of psalmody uh, relate to the spirituals that come out of our own African-American history and the very plaintive, moaning kind of singing that we think, as well as the jubilation of the, of the spirituals? Right. That's a great question, Timothy. I... I think the Psalms, you know, we we have caricatured them as praise and worship and thanksgiving in our minds often, and we forget the fact that um, many, many, many of the Psalms are laments and are cries of penitence or just lamenting um, spiritual needs in our own lives. And I do think that this is a great connection that you're making, that the role that the Psalms played of giving us a channel of lamenting before God was very similar to the moaning and groaning of the um, the spirituals, which also cried out from this very soulful place to God. In, and I and I love the distinction between lament and despair. That lament is actually the voice of faith, which is crying out to God, who we believe is there and hears our cries. That's the voice of faith and. It's a very different voice than the voice of despair, which gives up on God and um, turns from God. Lament is the turning to God in the midst of the things that are deep in our soul. And the Psalms are a tremendous resource for that. I believe, actually, that God, you know, this is God's inspired word. So he has given us this channel and intends for us to have it. And I think it's to our detriment that we have gone to only praise, worship, and thanksgiving. 
You know, I'm wondering, I'm thinking of you both getting up in the morning an hour ahead of time. That's really a remarkable discipline in and of itself for some of us who like to sleep in late. So you, you, you do, you do that and then you read these Psalms, one a day, I guess. Uh, and in doing so, you are going through the Psalter and you're going through life, the highs, the lows, the good, the bad, the shades, the shadows. How has that impacted your spirituality? Well, we found that the Psalms, uh, are really 150 separate journeys. That's how we kind of conceptualize it. And each of these journeys represents uh, a wide variety of, uh, of experience before God. There are obviously laments. You have you know, penitence. You have praise, worship, exuberation, even historical uh, you know, recitation, etc. So by laying the tracks, you might say, learning those psalms, those, those journeys, we have embedded into our hearts over the last seven years uh, a journey so just the, even the mention of a number of a psalm would bring to mind that journey. Mm. And I had experienced uh, psalms mostly as choruses which had taken out, you know, one or two verses and made them into a chorus. But when you actually follow the whole journey of the psalm, it really is a very, very powerful journey. And you don't know when you might need that journey. And so what I found in my life is we decided early on not to go to a psalm that that we felt like was the one that we wanted that day, but we actually just go through numerically. And we found that that actually helps us to kind of store up in our hearts each of the journeys. uh, And then when we need them, God calls them forth, basically. (laughs) So that's that's been the biggest spiritual discipline for us in the the means of grace, is just laying those tracks down of all 150 journeys and knowing that God preset 150 journeys for the people of God. And this, of course, was Jesus' prayer book. And so we thought, what better way for us to deepen our life than to get into Jesus' own prayer book. And that's the title of one of these volumes, A Meditative Journey Through the Psalms. Every single psalm is introduced with a special, it's it's not enough to call it a devotion. It is a, it is devotional, but it's also deeply theological. You know, I've been mm-hmm. I've been reading this particular volume in my own morning devotions in recent months since I've discovered this resource, and uh, I've been challenged. I, I've been provoked by thinking theologically and spiritually about the depth that is there in each and every psalm. So you've given us a great gift in in this. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Let me uh, let me say you you have a number uh, in the introduction to this volume. What you call frequently asked questions, FAQs, is that what we call them now? Uh, <laughs> and I wonder if I could ask you a few of those and see see what you would tell our, our listeners. Well, one of the things about the Psalms that's always I think challenging, maybe difficult uh, for a lot of people, are those sections of the Psalms in which. Vengeance is called against the enemies of God, the wicked. Uh, and the, the Psalms say a lot about the wicked and seems at times uh, to call on people, uh, on us to hate people uh, with a perfect hatred. That's a phrase in the Psalms. Um, we just had a chapel here at Beeson this last Tuesday and the, the text was Psalm 137, one of the famous imprecatory psalms, and it was a great sermon on it, but it kind of held us on knife's edge. How could this be a part of the Word of God? So talk about those imprecatory psalms. Great word. Of course, the the wicked in general are found in over 140 of the psalms, so it's hard to dance around the presence of the wicked in the psalms, but as you say, there's a particular class of psalms which are calling down curses, the imprecatory psalms, and 
in the in the book, we basically reflect on some of the ways that we have processed this in our daily uh, psalm singing because we sing through all the psalms and. Uh, basically, we've come to four different lenses. I'll just briefly mention uh, each of the four. First of all, we really believe that for Christians, uh, Paul, of course, says our our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers. So we see the enemy of the Psalms for the Christian becomes our spiritual enemies, uh, the principalities and powers, and we do stand opposed to them. And so in that sense, there's a spiritual warfare that is continued on in the life of the Christian. Secondly, uh, as Julie often says to me when we encounter these, these are, after all, prayers, uh, and they are transference. So we know from psychology even and Christian counseling that transference is a really important part of dealing with anger and dealing with uh, uh, where you feel betrayed, perhaps. And so part of what happens is that transference. The Bible says, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And so we... We, part of the psalm singing is transferring to God those moments we feel uh, neglected, we feel betrayed, we feel deeply hurt. We pray about that, and the psalms give us the language of prayer to help us to transfer it to God. Put it in his hands. Put it in his hands, that's right. bring about justice. The third lens for us has always been the fact that uh, when we read these curses being brought down, we, of course, recognize that Jesus bore these curses on the cross of Calvary. That's part of the power of the cross, that Christ not only bears our guilt, he bears our shame, he bears our imprecations, uh, he bears the hatred and bitterness of this world. He bears all of that, and Galatians 3, of course, says that, uh, the, the, the tree is the curse. And so Christ bears these curses, and so when we read the Psalms, we, we actually see Christ uh, bearing them as we reflect on this. And then, of course, finally, we know that uh, though Christ has provided this window of grace that we announce to the world, the, the gospel, there is that eschatological reality that the world will be judged, and he will set things right, and he does stand opposed to evil. And the time will come when and uh, God will actually... Um, render unto those who have rejected the gospel the, the due that is theirs. And so there's an eschatological reality to these um, these judgments that are very, very powerful. So those are just four of the ways in which we process these over the years that we, we feel like, of course, Christ fulfills them, but we also feel like that we don't uh, do well by just simply ignoring them, but we try to sit with them, live with them, and God's blessed us actually through these psalms as difficult as they are. Yes, I think when we wrestle with things um, which we should do. When Jesus says, you know, you should forgive your enemies, we, we have, as Christians, we wrestle with these, and yet in the wrestling, God has brought us many, many insights and um, just windows into his character through wrestling with these difficult psalms, and we are grateful for them. And one of the psalms that has meant so much to me at, at that very point is Psalm 77, which is a psalm, you call it the the journey of unanswered questions. And there are a lot yes. of questions in that psalm. Has God forgotten me? Has his loving kindness ceased? Have his promises come to an end? Has he forgotten to be gracious? What a question. Has he withdrawn his compassion from me? And yet, these are the very kinds of questions we know our Lord Jesus asked. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which, of course, is Psalm 22. Uh, 
Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, wrote a lot about the Psalms and a little book on the Psalms in which he teaches us that when we pray the Psalms, we are joining our prayer, our voice with that of Jesus himself. And that's helped me through some of those difficult Psalms. Yes, in fact, uh, Psalm 88, which is a very deep and dark um, psalm, we, whenever we sing that one, which asks similar questions to the ones you've just um, enumerated, um, we think of Jesus the night before he's going to be crucified in, in Caiaphas' pit. And this, this, this psalm of great question before God and pouring out of his soul, we think this Jesus may have, he knew the psalms, he sang them his whole life as any Jewish boy would have grown up learning them. And um, maybe, perhaps, these were his words. And to and to hear these words as mm. his soul's journey in his humanity to, to be crying these same things helps us remember that we are never alone. When we are in those places of feeling abandoned or forsaken, we know that we never are alone because Jesus has been there. Amen. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. You, you titled your meditation on Psalm 88, Darkness is My Closest Friend. Mm, yes, it's so yeah. good. Yeah. Now, I would like to ask you both um, a question about, uh, we've talked about the displacement of psalms by hymns and choruses, um, but uh, I think we, we are all agreed it would be wonderful if we could recover in some way, retrieve this great tradition of psalm singing in our worship, in our churches. And you're speaking to a lot of pastors and worship leaders. What advice would you give them about how to go about doing that? That is a great question because uh, it is a very foreign territory um, for those who have been immersed in hymns and choruses. It's just suddenly you're thrown into what feels like a foreign land. And I think the most important thing, Timothy, would be for the pastor to himself or herself give a, um, an introductory lens to the psalm that is about to be sung. Um, maybe just a one-minute um, kind of summative focus for the singing of that psalm. I, I think to introduce it beforehand that way would enable the congregation to venture into this foreign territory with um, a some sense of where they're going on this unfamiliar journey. And so that lens, I think, is it would be critical, especially for some of the more difficult psalms that we've been discussing. Um, I think also the tune selection, of choosing tunes that are familiar to the congregation so that they're not struggling with how to do this new thing, but uh, it's a familiar tune and the psalm just sings with it. And I've had the experience many times of, being before a group that has never done this before, and we read the psalm, and, and they experience it as they've always experienced it, just as a read psalm. And then we sing it, and I look out, and I see people with tears in their eyes or just with elation on their faces, and they say, it is so different when we sing it. And I, I can't really explain what happens in the soul when you sing, but when you sing, something is different than when you just read it. And these were, after all, songs. They were meant right. to be sung, and I think it, when we can sing them, God's Spirit enlivens them in a different way into our souls, and it's just a beautiful means of grace. And I want to just say that we did uh, introduce uh, psalm singing for a whole semester at, at Asbury, 
is a kind of a trial project for our future pastors. And we we found, of course, that there are a number, though most choruses are irregular meter, and so you can't use chorus tunes. There are choruses that are regular metered. So particularly Stuart Townend, some of those uh, new hymn writers that are putting out some beautiful work, those tunes are well-known by our students, and they loved using those tunes. So that is part of the sensitivity. And then also just explaining to students the timing of psalms. Mm, I think one point. of the things that we explained to them was that when you sing a hymn, you're used to a certain timing of a hymn. You know, if it's three or four verses, that's about as long as you can take. And if it goes into <laughs> like six or seven verses, that feels long. <laughs> and whereas the psalms can go from very short psalms that are just, you know, very, very quick all the way to very, very long, uh, lengthy journeys. And it takes a while for students to kind of adapt to that. But those who adapt to that, we had times where we would sing three or four verses and have someone read three or four verses mm-hmm. and sing three or four verses. We did different creative ways, and our chapel staff was really good. And a pastor could do this with their church, learning creative ways to maybe combine singing with some uh, reflective reading uh, because people need to adapt because singing uh, hymns and psalms are two very different kind of enterprises, and you can't conflate the two as being the same. That's right. I think also it, it's good for the pastor to remind the congregation, this is God's Word. As beautiful as, as the hymns are and eloquent as many of Wesley's hymns are, and they're, they're so rich in theology, they are still the words of men. <laughs> But this is God's word, and so it is a different enterprise to embark upon this journey of singing a psalm, and and so um, it's it's a distinctive journey to psalms or I mean to uh, hymns or choruses. Y'all have given us a wonderful gift, a gift to the whole church, I would say, in these two volumes. Uh, the a metrical psalter itself, which is actually uh, the psalms set to meter with the various uh, translations offered, and then a meditative journey through the psalms by Timothy and Julie Tennant. Can you all tell us how these books might be made available to people? Yes, uh, there, there's actually two ways. Um, they're available for purchase on uh, seedbed.com. That's our publishing house, and that, that site gives discounts and various things that, uh, that do it. You can also, of course, go to Amazon, but seedbed.com is probably the best way to go, and you'll see them there in our collection. We also wanted to have this as a free resource for the church globally, and so the metrical psalms have been put on a site, uh, www.psalms.seedbed.com. And that is, provides the entire metrical psalter. You can actually click and listen to the tunes be sung. You can have the tunes being played. Julie actually plays the tunes, so you can sing along with the, the the piano if you want to listen to that that way. And that's all freely available to the church. Uh, we want to have an open resource. So that's being used by uh, thousands around the world that have written us and have enjoyed that site. That's uh, psalms.seedbed.com. But others wanted to have the actual book because people love the book, and that's available through seedbed.com. Thank you so much. I want to encourage every listener to get this copy. If you have a special person you want to give a gift to, you couldn't find a better gift. Beautifully produced books. A Meditative Journey Through the Psalms and A Metrical Psalter, the book of Psalms set to meter for singing by our friends Timothy and Julie Tennant. I recommend it highly. Five stars. It's just a wonderful gift, and thank you so much for this conversation and for all you're doing to encourage the revival of psalm singing in the church today. Thank you so much, Timothy. Thank you.
God bless you both. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. For you, our listeners, you can receive a metrical psalter and a meditative journey through the Psalms at a special 20% discount rate at seedbed.com slash george. That's seedbed.com slash george. Enter in the discount code GEORGE in all caps at the checkout to receive 20% off. Again, the link is seedbed.com slash GEORGE and the discount code is GEORGE in all caps. Additional music was provided by Crown and Covenant. Learn more at crownandcovenant.com. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.